Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. to chat with Marnie McGregor from Secure Measure, and we discuss the often neglected topic, endpoint security. Marty shared his experience around working in this area for quite some time and how he transitioned into kickstarting Secure Measure, as well as his new approach to endpoint and the gaps that he believes people are missing. If you're keen to learn more, then please keep on listening. Okay, so Marty, we like to start each and every episode with an, an overview of your history inside security. Can you walk our listeners through the genesis of your interest and subsequent journey through security? I'd say the, the genesis of, of my journey started quite young. My, my dad was a developer or a programmer, as you'd call him in those days, and yeah. he worked in the field of computing you know, through the 70s and 80s and on right right through to retirement used to bring home computers for me to play with and that sort of thing when I was very young and software for Christmas which is horrifying I had IBM DOS 6.1 one year when I who wants IBM DOS um, uh, but then I found myself working in little roles that he'd find me in in holidays you know building PCs or swapping network cards for his customers, all these sort of like random awful jobs that no one else wanted to do uh, until I started uh, studying. And at that time, I really had to make a, a choice about which way I'd want to go. I, I, the thought of working in IT was, and for m- most of my career, horrifying to me. And I always saw myself as an artist and a musician. So I was always embarrassed to say I, I, I fiddle with computers. But I reckon uh, that's cool. It's got cooler now, but you know, back in those days, there was five people. Oh, when I was at, oh well, there was a lot, but you know, the people that used to do computing and even fiddle on the internet uh, in those days were there was about five in my school, and we used to meet each other in the library at lunchtime. So, I don't know how cool that was, but I uh, find that cool. So that's (laughs) right. Um, but I think I think what happened was over the course of my career, and you know, for, for much much of it, not enjoying working in in technology, um, feeling a bit of a, a bit like a commodity, and uh, you know, just a metric like anything else. Um, finding uh, security and the the, the people centric aspect of it, where you, what you're really doing is securing people and se- securing. Um, people's privacy and and doing a good thing for the world uh, it's it's a, a way I've been able to express my creativity and uh, my um, and, and some of my values and it, that's what's made working in in technology really rewarding for me is 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 finding security and and and, and privacy Wow I love that because we had a we had another interview yesterday and it was around privacy and I think it's so important and it's an area that not enough people outside of our space really understand. So when you say that you really value it, uh, we need more people like you talking about that. Now, when you said you were horrified because you wanted to be an artist, 
Are you, retrospectively looking back on your career, how do you feel about making the decision to sustain a career in this? Are you sort of thinking like, yes, I made the right move? Like, are you enjoying it? Well, I'm, I'm speaking to you now from my home recording studio, so I still do music. But what I've been able to do is make this something for my own pleasure, really. And, mm-hmm. and technology has, has been my career. But I think because, you know, um, from the outset, looking in, you don't expect uh, to use so much creativity in in technology and especially mm-hmm. in security. You, mm-hmm. You're always, you know, every day you've got to engage your brain to such a such a high degree to if it's if it's even just trying to get somebody to listen to you, it can be really challenging. Like you alluded to that before, people don't understand um, from the outside looking in what privacy is and the implications for society are. So it's a, it's, it's an area where you're constantly having to rethink how you communicate Mm. and rethink how, um, what people's thinking is and, and trying to meet them in a way that you can help them understand some of the implications for their own lives, you know, and, um, not just now, but for the, the society that we're going to live in 10 years from now. That's a really valid point. And I think it's, it's probably the most common argument, so to speak, when it comes to like, what's the, what's the issue in the industry? And it's that communications piece. It's the awareness. How do we talk to someone that doesn't have a background in this to understand why it's important, why they should invest in it, why they should spend money on it. And I think it's something that's going to take time and in the right attitude to know that these people aren't stupid, it's just it's just not the, not their area of expertise. But what is your area of expertise is I understand your company deals with a range of security consulting areas, and I know companies often don't have a clue regarding their endpoint solutions or even have multiple solutions that I've heard of to try and just plaster over poor implementation. So, what's your take on endpoint, and how does it work? Uh, well, this is something I've been dealing with since 1998, sitting in a basement of a company called Kalamazoo with uh, Norton Ghost and uh, making images of computer after computer after computer. It's it's the most people affecting area of technology. It's it's the the portal that people use to access all of our applications, all the business applications that we create for them and all of the systems and services that we create for our people to work is, is the end point. You know, that's the staff computer. And because it is, it's, it's so close to people, uh, it, can, it can be very easy to be clumsy in the way that we manage them. And typically that's always been the case. It's been so hard to get it right, so hard to get it to the point where we can build a machine for our staff consistently time and time again that uh, allows them to be up in a situation where they're working very fast. And I think what's happened, because it's been so difficult uh, over the last 20 years, it hasn't got better. It's, it's actually got worse. And, uh, you know, that time when people would spend the money on having someone like myself sitting in a basement uh, imaging machines over and over, is still there in some extent, but it's for for institutions that have become aware that they either have to do it or they have looked into it and they they're aware of how much money they're spending on on trying to get their staff working with computers that don't really work for them. You know, people are used to taking two weeks, you know, and sometimes more in a bank, for example, um, until they get the machine up and running uh, mm-hmm. to the point where they can work. You know, whether they've got the 
the right access, the right applications, uh, or, or whatever ever it may be. So it's very, very hard to do. And uh, as a result, um, there hasn't been a lot of innovation. You know, we were talking about this with Gartner, someone from Gartner a few weeks ago. They said it's one area in security, and you know, that's securing the endpoint, um, where we haven't seen any innovation really at all. And the the last innovation that we saw, you know, which people might consider, you know, next gen AV or something like that, is now quite a while ago, and. That's we're also aware of that limit the limitations in that software as well. So, what we've done is we've really used our experience over all of those years to try and solve that problem. You know that very hard problem in a way that a company doesn't have to, and uh, they can work with someone that can use a whole bunch of tools and services and experience to to streamline some of these people centric areas of the endpoint. Um, and ultimately, we've had to do that because of how hard it is to secure them. So to give you an example, we, we have a a, um, a customer that uses our endpoint solution, FreshPoint. And I was sitting next to the help desk the other day and a developer came into work late um, without his, his machine and went to the help desk and said, look, guys, uh, I, I don't have time to go home and get my laptop. Can you please FreshPoint me a new device? And I thought that was uh, it was incredible that that was normal because people are, are, are um, so used to that being something that would be completely impossible. But you know, a developer, especially being able to get a, a new machine provisioned to them and up and running and able to work in a shorter time than they can drive home and pick up their laptop is is a uh, telling of of um, how rare it is to actually have a a solution that's workable and fits around people rather than, you know, the awful processes that we have trying to manage desktops now. So do you think people became clumsy because the space hasn't innovated? And they're just like, no one kind of cares because there's been no new technologies that have really come out recently and everyone's kind of forgotten about it because it's all about threat intelligence and all these other things that are coming out that people are focusing on now. Yeah, and I think we, we've changed the way that we work as well. Um, we, we went through a period where it got a little bit easier because people were they were only working from an office where they had access to infrastructure. So that there was technologies that could manage a desktop on premise. But now that mm -hmm. people work so distributed and a lot of them, mm. you know, the, the customers that we speak to, they don't work on infrastructure in their office anymore. They work on cloud Um mm -hmm. Uh, in uh, cloud environments that the, the company has built. So things have changed and that's meant that even the, the, the tools that we did have to manage these have become a little bit about a little bit outdated. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we, what I think a lot of us have tried to do is let's just forget the desktop. let's let's try and secure our cloud environments and then we can come worry about our, our, our our endpoints later, or we'll just exclude them uh, from having access and or as as little access as possible, and and that should solve the problem. But I think people are starting to learn now that that didn't really help, and so many of the breaches that we see now really originate on someone's endpoint with a a, a, a user that perhaps succumbs to a, a phishing attack or something like that. Okay, so let, let's move along to a, a, the next part of the interview, which is 
Endpoint isn't a sexy buzzword in the industry, but it's an absolute fundamental, like diet, exercise versus some new supplement for weight loss. It can be really hard to get people to eat their vegetables. So how are you getting buy-in from people? Um, I don't know how well I'll, I'll do in this regard because uh, I can't understand anybody who doesn't eat vegetables. Um, I love vegetables and, uh, I do as well. And so, um, (laughs) I, 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 I can't relate with, with that example, but I think just like someone who eats vegetables and loves vegetables, you, you appreciate the health benefits and it creates a cycle where, you know, you feel good. So you, you want more of them. I think it's the same with, with, um, managing your endpoint. I think people that aren't aware of the problem, you know, who are eating junk food every day and wait till mm-hmm. the doctor tells them they're about to die before they do something. Oh gosh. Probably not aware how much money they're spending on on managing their endpoints poorly now. Uh, they're not really the the cost of of staff waiting for devices every time you know a device needs to be re- rebuilt takes, you know, potentially days for them to be up and running again. Uh, the amount of time that people waste onboarding and offboarding staff, all of those those costs add up. And I think people just throw money at software and install more and more agents on their endpoints that they don't manage very well or or just pay for more people in the help desk to support them. But at the end of the day, if you uh, have good good health and good hygiene with your endpoint and you start to see that there's, a, there's actually an ROI um, in doing this properly, uh, not only in just the performance of the staff and how able you know they they are to work, but also re- in reducing costs in uh, help desk, trying to resolve problems and that sort of thing. So, can you give any advice to our listeners around some high level strategy or put them in the right direction when it comes to health and hygiene around? the end point that people, if they're not doing today, they can be like, oh, Marty said this, I should probably look at that. Um, I think because it is a, a, a people-centric thing, that's where you need to start. You know, what we set out to do really with, with this product was to try and make something that secured the desktop because that's a very hard thing to do. But when you get to that point, um, you realize what, what I actually have to do is I have to make sure that I can deploy this thing quickly and mm-hmm. um, have the right applications that that user needs and the right access. Yeah. So I think when you, when you have to – when you look at this problem, you want to avoid – manual processes. You don't want um, someone in the help desk uh, uh, imaging a machine or rebuilding a machine and installing apps and and setting up your access because it's always going to be problematic. They're always going to forget things. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Automation is really key here. You want to, you want to get it right for that user profile or that, that, that type of role and make sure that they, they can work and they have everything that they need. Uh, as soon as the image has been built, you know, from that automated process. And then having that predictability is what really makes the difference. So uh, each time somebody needs a device, there's an expectation of how long it's going to take. They can account for that. You know, they can go out and get a coffee or whatever before they come back and start working again. It's that predictability that comes from automating. I think that's what's critical. And you need to get away from trying to solve this problem with people looking at it, the same thing over and over and over. 
Do you still think a lot of companies are putting in a lot of manual labor to this? Uh, I've worked in companies before. I understand when it takes three weeks to get a functioning laptop and then they've forgotten something or someone spilt coffee on your laptop so the whole thing has to get rebuilt again. Do you think why aren't people sort of opting for more automation to make it easier for them and less manual labor around getting people to do uh, quite basic tasks like imaging a laptop? I think because the it's it, it hasn't necessarily been uh, the fault of the service desk or the help desk. It's technology really hasn't been there, and the facilities to help uh, the the changes in the way people use workstations and the, this mm-hmm. distributed workforce hasn't really been there. It's it's only starting to happen now, and uh, you know we've created a product to to do this, and in a way that a, a company doesn't have to. Uh, consider how this will all work and they can you know consume a product that they pay for every, every month but that's a that's a very new thing and uh, we're one of the first and potentially the first to do something uh, like what we've done for the endpoint so mm-hmm. it's really only been possible for us to achieve this in the last year or two um, with some of the services and the capabilities that have been available now on platforms like Azure and AWS so mm-hmm. It's a problem that's been waiting to be solved for a long time, and uh, I think that's where we're at now. We're going to start seeing a lot more innovation around this because uh, everybody struggles with it. Okay, so let's let's jump into the product uh, dev stuff. How did you come up with the idea? So it started from us dealing with customers who had compliance issues. Typically, their cloud estate and their on-prem equipment would would do okay because they're spending a lot of time managing it. But when it came to their endpoints, there would be typically a lot of findings and it would be very hard for them to prove to regulators that they'd done what they said they did. Uh, For example, they might have installed uh, AV or a hardened image on an endpoint, but when it came to trying to provide evidence, often they wouldn't have visibility of those endpoints, uh, especially ones that would uh, not be within the organization or remote workers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so what we originally wanted to do was uh, create a desktop that had a whole bunch of security controls on there that we could monitor uh, from anywhere in the world and create a live compliance and security uh, reports of those endpoints. And fr- from that uh, place, we saw that Doing that probably wasn't enough. We'd have to manage, we'd have to do deployment of these endpoints as well. We'd have to potentially manage some of the aspects of it as well, like um, patching, because organizations found that really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But the most, the critical piece and and what got us here was making sure that the customer's applications were there and configured the way that they needed to be. And that was the real the real critical piece because you know, when you get a vanilla Windows 10 or OS X um, device like, like we support, there's not much you can do with it. You need your applications. It's like when you pull a new iPhone out of the box, you want it, you go straight to the App Store. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've built a, a, a system where we can automatically uh, package applications, a whole series of applications, and make them available on this on the the company's store. Um, their, their own personal online app store 
they get a whole bunch of apps that are generic to every user in the organization, but then they can also get other ones that they need as well. And all of those are, are managed and, and updated and we can monitor the, the status and the versions of those uh, applications plus the the security settings on the device, the patch level, um, a whole bunch of things, encryption, um, you name it, we can we can do that for the whole fleet and give real-time compliance reports to, to auditors. Tell me more about the vision for your company and, where, and what do you believe Secure Measure is going to achieve with some of the clients that you're working with and what's sort of on the horizon for that? All of our founders were, were engineers, so it's it's always going to be a, a, a question of of engineering and 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 how we can we can engineer um, solutions to help companies deal with security and privacy. I think one of the things that that I've learned in in my career is that security is very hard to get done. It's very hard to get buy-in, and the best way to to do that is to come with other benefits. So just like where we've really looked at uh, productivity issues and, and aspects that uh, the customers really do care about and efficiencies with staff and things like that, we've used that as a, as a way to, to inject security and, and deal with, with things that are very difficult to deal with. And uh, it's an engineering solution to a, a security problem. And we'll keep doing things like that and finding opportunities for us to to give value for to to people and businesses in in what they're trying to achieve and in their goals and in their businesses, but all the all all the while with this sneaky um, uh, behind the scenes ambition to to address security and privacy uh, and help people understand um, what the implications of that are, but also that there's benefits to addressing it and um, taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Now. For some of our audience going through the startup or the scale-up phase, as a new security company, it's quite a red ocean out there at the moment. What's been your greatest challenges and how have you overcome them? Security is such a massive problem in the world right now and uh, mm. particularly in the area of, of privacy, you know, for just for people like yourself and I. Uh, there is still so much opportunity for innovation and uh, for, for new organizations and, and new types of industries that that fit under that umbrella you know the, the problem is so big and we're we're solving it in, in a in a very mediocre way at the moment so there's there's <laughs> there's lots of room for for everyone but I think um, th- there's a bit of a problem there because uh, we we've all sort of been lumped in uh, as security people and you know, there's a people have a, a a way of thinking about security people, um, <laughs> and at at the moment, I think what we're trying to do as a company is we're trying to express our uniqueness and try to say, hey, we're not what you think a security person is. We're we have another reason for being here, and uh, we're trying to find people that are, that align with our values and want to preserve our values, like. Like they do care about their customers, and they do care about the implications of of privacy on their customers. And they, uh, you know, just like Apple has in their advertising campaigns lately, using privacy as a as a marketing tool. That people do see that there's a way that they can also show that their customers um, show their customers that addressing privacy is something they're doing for their best interest, and that's why they are more worthy of the business than say someone else. 
I think having a level of integrity is really important in this space. And I was in a conversation this morning around this characteristic of an individual, but also a company's value as well, because especially if you're dealing with products, you want to be able to deliver what you say you're going to be able to deliver because there's time and time again where a lot of people promise you the world and they won't be able to deliver it. And I think that when that happens to companies, I think they feel a little bit on the back foot then and they and they feel perhaps apprehensive about buying a particular innovative product or service because they feel that there's still this, I guess there's, they're holding back that level of integrity, the honesty around what your product actually does versus what you say it does. And I think if people be a little bit more honest in the industry about it, what it really does and knowing that, hey, we actually can't do that or you should go and speak to these guys, we don't actually cover that uh, in terms of capability. I think just sticking in your own lane a lot would, would help, uh, especially if you're specialized in one particular area, only specialize in that and try not to go to broaden yourself so thin that you're kind of not really helping anyone. You're just confusing people. Uh, I think that that's a, a great question and and really well put. And I think you're um you're pointing out something that I think about a long a lot and that does trouble me a lot. And that's we we don't want the business community to stop listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want them to think that these are people that can't be trusted for the exactly. exact reason that you've articulated. And what what has happened and people in the industry are always very aware of it is vendors have made promises that aren't true, you know, even from, uh, or they haven't done a good job at at explaining what they mean when they say certain things. So a lot of the time we'll come up against, we'll come up with somebody, uh, who, who might be on one of the big cloud platforms or, 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 or something like that. And throughout the process of them, moving their technology and their data assets to that provider. They've been given assurances from the people in that organization that don't worry, our platform's secure. And mm-hmm. the, the the amount of times I've spoken to a business that thinks, don't worry, we're, 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 we're secure. We've been, we've been told that, you know, the platform that we're using is very secure. Um, they don't realize that there's uh, very, very important distinctions there that haven't been articulated to them by the vendor or by the the platform provider, and most of the time because it didn't serve their purpose. And and that's that they may be secure, but they're only secure in in the, from the perspective of how it relates to their business and what they're trying to achieve. They're not saying that your business is going to be secure. And what we need to do as uh, as people with integrity in this industry is when we go deal with someone, we need to be considerate of, of that person and that person's business, that person's life, that person's uh, journey and mission, and thinking about securing that, not making promises about security that don't meet that criteria of, of their personal security. And the, the the problem with it is often when people are told that something's secure, the way that they relate it to themselves is by saying, okay, that must mean I'm secure. And we Mm -hmm. really need to do a better job of that because what's happening over and over and over is people in in businesses are being let down, breaches are happening. And the question that they're often asked is, why didn't any of the security people around me tell me that I was in such a um, precarious situation? And um, how many times have we seen, you know, these poor CEOs that have been um, 
just come out the other end of a, a data breach and they're all sweaty and having to answer these very specific security questions and it's the first time they've ever had to do it in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to try and avoid that happening to people you know, rather than um, gloating and uh, mocking those people when it does happen. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that's a really key point for people listening as well, that there needs to be a level of integrity across everyone because we're trying to solve this problem as a, as a collective, not just an individual for personal gain or, or whatever that may look like. So what can people do when it comes to endpoint protection that typically isn't handled optimally? I think it's they, they need to interview their people understand how they work and then work back from there. I think as we we, we articulated earlier, um, automation is key. So trying to find out what people are doing and trying to find similarities and automating those is 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 absolutely key because the end goal really is consistency. We want our users to be able to get to work and be a predictable environment. A lot of the time, the frustrations that I see from users is just because, you know, my bookmarks aren't there anymore or uh, the, the application is in a different spot now and, you know, things were, where a technolo- technology person might say, oh, oh, it's there. No, the job was done. For that person, it really wasn't. So that's where the, the key is, is, is getting that part right, either through, you know, really good onboarding and education or with uh, good interviews. Amazing, Marty. I loved it. I think you gave a lot of great insight, particularly on the endpoint side of it, but also giving a little bit of your knowledge on the broader technology landscape. If people want to get in touch with you, where's best to connect? Oh, they can email me at martin at securemeasure.com.au. Go to our website, securemeasure.com.au. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, you've brought a wealth of knowledge. I really loved your story growing up when you're younger about all the computer stuff because I do hear that similar story to a lot of people I do interview. So it's obviously <laughs> part of the pedigree in this space. So I really, really do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carissa. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.